those of us hunting for a job, it's usually a puzzle as to how we should go about negotiating the offer. Should we play hardball and maybe risk losing the offer altogether? Or should we just go with what's been offered? In which case, we probably are leaving a lot of money on the table. Who was still recently leading recruiting at Netflix? He's spent his entire career, pretty much almost his entire career, in the recruiting space. And he has very kindly offered to help us understand what goes on behind the scenes when a job offer is in play and how you should go about negotiating your own offer. But before we begin, a couple of quick reminders. If you like this episode, please do rate it five stars. And also please follow the show so you don't miss out on any of our future guests. Also, if you need a recap after the episode, please feel free to head over to crazytalk.online to get the show notes and a full transcript. So with that said, Aki, welcome to Job Talk. It's really a pleasure to have you with us here today. And maybe before we get into the meat of the entire conversation, perhaps we could start with a short intro. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Amit. It's, uh, I love getting to wax on these topics and to get to do it with a friend and someone I enjoy is a treat. So thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. I've spent most of my career in some form of talent role, call it, briefly in HR for a few years, but the majority of it's been in recruiting different orgs, different stages, different types of recruiting, but that's been the core of it. I, uh, for better, for worse, always worked in tech. Uh, my first job out of university was a tech startup, a software company in Austin, Texas called Trilogy. It happened to be phenomenally good at recruiting, by the way, in a way I couldn't probably appreciate when I joined the company. And as soon as I got there, I was keen to go back to my university and, and see my friends, frankly, that hadn't graduated. So I always volunteered for those recruiting trips to go back to campus and try and bring some, some fresh faces down to Austin. And I never really looked back. I joined a traditional recruiting agency after that role, but it was all tech recruiting. And did that for a few years as a headhunter and then found myself at Google. And this was around, gosh, you know, the, the mid aughts spent the better part of five years in different recruiting and HR roles at Google as it was really, really trucking and doubling itself. Yeah. And from there, joined a venture capital firm as an in-house talent geek, a really neat one called Greylock Partners. This was in California. We wound up joining Dropbox when it was about 50 people, I want to say. It was just starting to scale its hiring and eventually moved to Singapore, joined Uber, which is where I met you. I moved with my wife and my six-month-old daughter, also in a recruiting role, looking after recruiting for Uber for a few years. And most recently did the same at Netflix, joined it in 2016 and spent the better part of the last five years uh, scaling out the hiring across Asia for Netflix, which was a blast. And then just recently, right at the end of the year, I launched my own content company called Talent Stories with a co-founder named Usman Sheikh. And uh, the two of us are big believers in the need to do this stuff better, to be more intentional with all things career and work that you can get good at this stuff. And it behooves you to intentionally versus sort of winging it like we tend to do in, when it comes to work for some reason. And so the content we'll be putting out is very much focused on, on precisely that. And in fact, it sounds like just the kind of thing that our listeners will probably enjoy learning more about. So I'm definitely going to drop a link to Talent Stories on the website once we have this episode up. 
Yeah, it'll, it'll be great for everyone actually. Uh, so Aki, tell me something. We are here to talk about negotiating uh, job offers and things like that. But let's, I mean, to begin with, let's maybe discuss why is it important to negotiate the offer? Because ultimately a company presumably wants to get good talent on board. They would make uh, presumably a fair offer to begin with. So why bother? Interesting assertion. I think most companies, most companies, you assume good intent and you give the benefit of the doubt to. The reality is, I mean, there is a tension, right? There are tensions all over work, right? I want a certain job offer. The company wants to pay me less. I want a promotion. There are only so many promotions a company can give. And so I think being clear-eyed about those tensions is actually really healthy as an employee, as well as somebody running a company or working in HR, you name it, hire, you know, somebody who leads people. I think being clear-eyed about that dynamic is a good thing. And I should say too, as we just get into this whole discussion around negotiation, I'm an advocate for negotiation. I've negotiated throughout my career with different levels of success, which I'm happy to talk about. I do want to flag though, that it is, it's not easy for everybody and it comes more intuitively and more naturally. And there are lots of studies that show that some groups and typically underrepresented groups when they negotiate can face more sort of repercussion than other groups. So I just also want to be just as clear about that, that I will advocate for this. I am a big believer in it. With that said, I think that the importance of negotiation is a fewfold. One, the notion of getting what you're worth. It's not always the case that a company is going to pay you what you're worth, but it is a talent market. And most of us want to get paid what we're worth in terms of the market, in terms of the impact we're having when we join the company as well as over time. So all that's really important. And there's another component to why one should negotiate that it has more to do with compounding. I really do believe is the eighth wonder of the world. It's a (laughs) tremendously powerful force when it's harnessed properly. And there are all sorts of opportunities to apply what I like to call compounding career skills. And negotiation is one of them. There's huge ROI to be had from negotiating and starting to do it earlier than not in your career. Maybe could you give a bit more detail on that? What do you mean by compounding in terms of this whole job negotiation thing? Yep, I'll try to make two distinct points when it comes to compounding. One is, this is a, there's a learning curve here. And I can, I'm happy to share my first formal negotiation. It made for a painful but fun story. But the point is, anything you you start doing, you're probably not going to be that good when you start at it. And that's fine. The important thing is to get in the reps and to start early such that by the time you get, say, mid-career, for instance, you're halfway decent at things and you get to enjoy being good at, in this case, negotiation. So the timing and the number of reps that you put in is, is really important. And then the way compounding works materially in negotiation and careers is maybe we could put in the show notes a a visual of this. Um, There are a bunch out there, but if you take two people who join the same company in the same year, get the same job offer uh, and say that person A gets X thousand dollars per year and person B gets X thousand dollars per year offer, but negotiates their offer unlike person A, and they wind up getting 1.05 X, right? It doesn't sound like a huge amount. If they're making uh, 100K, it's an extra $5,000 off the bat. But more important is because they're making 
$105,000 in job one, then when it comes to job two, they're typically able to command an even higher salary. And then the compounding begins such that by job three or job four, and most of us in our careers are going to have close to double digit jobs, then the effect of that incremental 5K at the outset can be off the charts. Literally, you see these graphics and it's, whoa, look at look at what person B did and look what they did for their bottom line. Yeah, and that's because the 5,000 itself is compounding. Let's say you got a 10% hike and then another 10% hike. And so the 5,000 is now compounded at that rate. Whereas the first person doesn't have that benefit. And I think to add to this, presumably the person who got the extra amount is also better at negotiating, which means they're also getting the bigger hikes as time goes on. So they're starting with a higher base and accelerating, whereas the other one's on a much slower track. Right. Or the other one maybe starts at some point, but they don't get that compounded benefit of the early years of the curve. And yeah. That's right. I think it's a good reason to go out and negotiate. Yeah, this is a very, I think, very powerful illustration. Also a very, if a person before this show thought that negotiating is not important or it's not something that they are comfortable doing, I think this is as much a kick in the pants as needed, I think, to make that happen. Because you're talking about over the course of a career, maybe doubling salary versus the other person. Would it help to hear that brief anecdote of that first negotiation to try to make sense? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a lesson in gumption and naivety in equal measure, I would say. My first job was at this software company. I was a senior in university, which is basically the last year in an American university, and got the offer. I thought it was a good offer. And lo and behold, a good friend was had also accepted a job at the same company. And we talked as friends do, and he told me the salary he was getting, and it was higher than what I had been offered. I got all indignant and I pinged <laughs> the recruiter at the time who put me in touch with the head of recruiting, which is a bit daunting. And he said, what's going on? How can I help? And I said, I heard you're paying others more. And he really didn't like that negotiation tactic, which I can appreciate why. And long story short, said, look, if you are telling me you're worth this much more, then I can offer that to you. Is that what you're saying, Aki? And I said, yeah, Jeff, I'm, I still remember the guy's name. I am worth that. And he said, okay, are you going to come to Trilogy? And I said, yes, I'd love to. And he said, great. And that's your salary. So the lesson was good. I negotiated, but yeah, pointing to what someone else was making was probably not the best way to do it. That said, when I left Trilogy and I went to go negotiate my role at, at the headhunting firm, I told you I joined, it was called OTEC. I was both bold, but I was also that much better at negotiating. And I came in with a squarely higher salary than a lot of the other folks that were joining that company. And so that negotiation, even in my second job, it paid off materially for me. Yeah. So it's a good thing you learned from that experience because I have to say I haven't been a great negotiator, at least early in my career for sure. And in my first job, I didn't negotiate. So it was whatever they were paying you is what you took and you and you joined. Even I think in my second role, I mean, second company I worked at also, I don't think I knew some people there. So they helped me understand what might be possible. So it was a little better, but it's not like I came in strong or anything like that. 
I totally, I think, empathize with with where you were at the start, and I have to say that you did overall better <laughs> than I did certainly in my first job. So, what are some of the lessons that you took away? I know a lot of people they look at the salary on offer and they'll say, "Oh, I want ten percent more on the base," and maybe sometimes that's possible. Maybe sometimes it isn't for whatever reason. So, how does one negotiate, or what are the different elements that one should look at when looking at the overall compensation? And this is about the different components, call it right, of a negotiation, and we can get into some of the tactics. I think it's good to sequence it this way. Yeah, look, uh, clearly depends on the type of organization you're joining, whether it's a, a big, large multinational corporation versus a startup versus even the stage of startup can be relevant. But you are you put it well that I think oftentimes the fixation can be on the base salary. I mean, it's important. Obviously, it's probably the lion's share of your compensation, at least. But there are other factors. And by the way, some of them certainly, as you get into the tech world and, and startups, things like equity and ownership can actually wind up being much more powerful than your base. Off the top of my head, the equity amount that you would get if it's a, either a startup or lots of public companies, tech and otherwise, still offer stock to employees. You've got things like your title and your level, and harder to influence in larger companies, obviously, but still something to negotiate. And that's probably something better done sort of midstream than it is at the end. It is done, and it can be done, and it should be if you are inappropriately leveled. Because once you're in the company, it can be very hard to affect the promotion to the next level. Right? Yeah, it's not going to change easily. That's right. You've got sign-on bonuses, right? It's amazing when I'm talking to friends about negotiations. They, I think, forget is the right term. Like people forget that is something that you can and should think about negotiating. There are pros and cons to it, and and it's best properly inserted, like all of this, at the right moment. But that can be a nice way to increase your overall package. And things like start date timing, right? Usually, companies want you. In the chair the day before yesterday, right? <laughs> but it's something that you can at least try and negotiate. That is not financial at all, but just more about your peace of mind, the opportunity to recharge, and the ability to present that as actually a good thing for the company. It's also something you can think about negotiating. So that's a lot of different options essentially. So what you're saying is maybe you don't get as much in base, but perhaps you could negotiate more equity. And which maybe companies will appreciate because it shows like you're on the same page with them. You want to grow with them, and equity definitely builds more wealth over time than maybe your base salary is going to. Yeah, and by implication, self awareness is really important. Like knowing what's important to you, knowing what these components are, so that you can go into a negotiation with a sense of what you do and don't want to push for. Right. That's a very all of this is deeply personal. It depends on your personal situation. It turns on. It depends on your personality, your risk appetite. But the better you are at knowing what matters to you, the better your negotiation is going to be because it'll be more focused. And we go back to the compounding and to the, the doing this early on. The reality is you don't really know what's important to you when you're starting out. Taking note of that as you go along and learning from your negotiation. Wow, I asked for more base. It wound up that the equity was worth five times as much. That's a good lesson. And you bring that into the next negotiation only if you're you're doing this constant, you're self-aware, and you're doing this constant analysis and making the effort to negotiate, you can get some nice um, return on that effort. 
I suppose also for maybe people in sales or things which have a commission component that might also be up for negotiation, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good one. For sure. We call it a, a bonus, right? Which may or may not be sales or number driven. And it could be that bonus is paid in cash and it could be paid in stock. But either way, that's a major component for sure. And uh, you mentioned something about title. So let's just click into that a little bit because that's a really interesting one. Essentially, the job is called something and it's leveled something internally. You're saying that it may be possible to say it's okay if I'm getting whatever this package is, but could I get the next level either internally if that is possible or maybe even externally? I would sequence it in terms of trying to get the level right first and then have the conversation on compensation, which in turn means when I mentioned it in passing, I flagged that's something you probably want to do more midstream to get to the end of a process and say, you know what, this feels like the wrong level. And then to go and negotiate comp, like if hard, right? But if you are able to flag things along the way and share in the right mix of enthusiastic, but curious almost as to, is this the right level for me? Or my, in terms of the impact, the solve that you need, the impact that you expect me to have, this might not be, and can we talk about that? That's a negotiation. If the answer is no, all right, at least you know. But oftentimes that's a good way to go about things such that by the end of the process, you're talking, you're apples to apples, right? You, you and, and the company both think you're appropriately leveled. And then you can and should go have another conversation about your compensation at that level. Okay, so this is cool. And I think some of these are probably components people have not thought about in the past. So this is very interesting. Now, okay, so it's one thing that you've figured out what your negotiation approach is going to be or what you're going to press on, but who really are you negotiating with? Is it the, is it the recruiter? Is it the hiring manager? Is it someone else? And if it's multiple people, because of course there are so many people in the process, do they all, are they all aligned and you're negotiating with a single group or does everybody have different thoughts and you have to work on all of them? Great question and perfectly phrased. Who am I ultimately negotiating with? Hopefully not yourself, which is one of the, <laughs> the classic. You should rule that out from the get-go. Classic no-nos of negotiation. But look, it depends, right? It depends on the org, on the company, on the size of the company, the stage of the company, how they run internally. But generally speaking, I think it's best thought of as you negotiating with the company or the organization Within that, now maybe we can talk about a couple of, of the usual roles that exist. So there's the, typically there's an internal recruiter that you would be working with throughout the process. There is usually a hiring manager who has the headcount and is responsible for the hire. But there's also some mix of call it HR slash compensation. And, so, and in many orgs, certainly bigger ones, they're actually very distinct roles, but they typically both have a role to play in the compensation creation, the offer creation, which is the HR sort of business partner stroke generalist on the one hand, and the more Excel-driven compensation team member. Yeah, there, there are multiple parties. Who ultimately has the final say really depends on the company, to be honest. And for instance, at, at Netflix, it was ultimately up to 
the hiring manager as to what to pay. They had a lot of leeway. We had a lot of leeway in terms of what we paid our team with input from those other colleagues that I just mentioned. In other orgs, like Google, for instance, it was much more of a compensation team-driven decision and you and the hiring manager were working to influence the comp team more than anything, okay. right? As to why you thought this candidate was worth 1.2x and not x, right? Despite what the job ladder and the, the compensation bands had to say about things. So I get what the recruiter's incentive must be, which is I'm sure recruiters are all very busy. They have tons of resumes, tons of roles to fill. So I think maybe it's trying to, you know, complete the process and get a person into in place in time. Right. Yeah. If, if you go stakeholder by stakeholder, and you should, right, to negotiate, to understand what they're optimizing for so that you can negotiate well with that stakeholder, then yes, the recruiter is typically overstretched, has too many jobs to work on, and is incented in terms of his or her compensation nine times out of 10 to hire a certain number of roles in a certain in a given quarter and to get compensated based on whether or not they hit that target. So that's one. Two, the other thing I would mention about a recruiter is they also have a relationship to maintain with both the hiring manager and or the HR team. They, and this is useful to know in terms of how you negotiate because they have face to save when it comes to dealing with those, their own internal stakeholders. And so yes, they want to make the hire, you, but they also want to do it in a way that preserves the relationship that they have and the, the equity, the currency that they have with those internal colleagues. The hiring manager is typically the one at least as well as I do, they're the one feeling the pain. They're hiring for a reason. It's because they're up till midnight, understaffed, getting emails from their managers to why they haven't built out the team. Yeah. So they want to get a higher end for sure. And not too removed for better or for worse from the recruiters incentive. HR and comp in, in a lot of organizations is more concerned with parity and equity, internal equity. So not going outside of these guidelines, keeping things repeatable from a process standpoint and from a fairness standpoint. Very noble concerns, by the way, but not necessarily aligned with the first two parties. So what does the compensation person look at when designing comp? Depends on the, on the organization, let's call it, but typically they, in a more mature one, for sure, less so the case at a startup, they're, they're looking at the level first and foremost, right? Is this a director? Is this a VP? Is this a, an individual contributor? It just depends on how many rungs you have. But they're looking first and foremost at the role that's being compensated and saying to the manager and the recruiter, you're telling me this is a, an analyst too. And here's our, here's our range for the analyst too. Their job is to make sure over time that market isn't moving for an analyst to role. But when it comes to comping the role, they want to know what the level is first and foremost. And then begins the awkward internal dance of why this might, might may or may not be exceptional for this particular candidate. And that, there are things like Google, not surprisingly, really valued advanced degrees. And we would point to the presence of those degrees. Uber, oh my God, I never heard a word about somebody's degree or lack of degree or <laughs> a particular pedigree of degree. And it was the same at Netflix. So it just depends culturally too on what firms value as to what that compensation teammate is going to look at. So like you mentioned, and that's true, there's a band. So you figure out what's the level at which you're bringing this person and then there's a range of salaries. Does that just mean that 
why not just say okay just give the top end of this range uh, to this person like why is that why does that turn into a discussion at all like why not just default to the top of the range yeah. every time yeah yeah well it would the flatter the distribution of pay within a level the harder it becomes to manage performance for instance so if everyone is at the top of the range then when it comes time absent a promotion which is typically a rare event organizationally then the ability to show movement along the range within a level is shoot yourself in the foot and if you do that at scale for everybody you remove one of the levers that a manager has to be able to motivate his or her team right nice as it would be to go straight to the top yeah and thanks for sharing that aki because it is a natural thought process for a person being hired that if there is a range just stick me at the top end of the range why are we having this negotiation at all but you're right as a manager when the person comes in as you said they're going to get promoted maybe two or three years later but in the interim you still need to give them at least the average merit increase every year or if they have been an outperformer they should get a higher uh, you know increase in salary but if they stuck at the top end of the range they're actually going to progress much slower or rather they won't get any hikes at all then it could also be as a manager i know who's on my team i know what they're paid i know what they came in with in terms of background and i know the impact that they're having and so the notion of paying someone off the street the same as my star performer at the top of the range who by the way in an extreme case may have come in with quote unquote more experience it's counterintuitive as it would be to your to the compensation analyst as well so uh you're trying to create some sort of logic defensible logic yeah. defensible to yourself as a manager and a leader defensible to your team around who gets paid what and why and like the less variability you have the the more risk of not being able to defend that you're up against that's right so it's the internal team equity as well it's not just that individual and their needs and concerns and their future progression but also comparing it against the rest of the team and you use the right word which is defensible so internally it has to be something that you can explain to somebody and they will get the logic of it versus oh this guy just negotiated like crazy and that's it we just paid them whatever they wanted yeah uh so two thoughts on that very astute comment one is you look i think the defensibility begins with the person in the mirror right as a leader and a manager not just when it comes to conversation the way you're running your team you have to be able to justify it to yourself first and foremost otherwise guess what when you go to talk either one on one much less one to many it's it all breaks down right if you can't the other thought is and the other reason to be the other dynamic to keep in mind as you're negotiating from the outside especially is the extent to which the squeaky wheel gets oiled as to use a probably very american phrase but is there a risk of creating some bias because this person its personality make you know again you'd be right to ask what group these folks come from typically men negotiate more than women and so you have to be really careful when you're a manager leader or an HR practitioner that you're not creating a sort of collective bias towards people who negotiate well right yeah that's right it's tricky so it's it shouldn't be about the negotiation alone essentially what you're saying is there should be a fundamental like 80% of the comp should be decided based on objective measures i i suppose which removes bias which creates the equity all of that internally and maybe 20% of it 
is based on what the person is saying. Maybe there's some variability there. And but you can also hear the tension in what I'm saying because I am both in some moments an employee, an interviewee who is looking to join an organization and optimize for himself, which I think is fair and right and healthy. And I'm also I can't help but look at things as a manager, which I've also been, and as an HR practitioner who can appreciate the tension I was speaking about earlier around we just can't pay everything to everyone uh, much as we might like to, right? For a whole host of reasons, not just the economic ones. Yep, that's right. Thanks, Aki. I think this was a nice, substantial discussion, and I also think quite insightful for those who are listening to this episode. Maybe let's. Let's understand now, you know, you know, as an interviewee, you know your approach. And we've talked about what are the different stakeholders within the company and what their respective thought processes might be. How do you actually go about the negotiation? Because obviously it unfolds as things go on. But uh, do you have any thoughts about how to approach it in a manner that you get basically what you're looking for or something close without being painful and annoying? Yeah, so what are the tactics? Like, how do we do this? I'll throw out a few, and but I'll, I'll first try and give a framework or a way to think about the overall process, which I hope helps. And then you can maybe better understand why a given tactic within that makes sense and how to insert it. I think one of the mistakes people make is they only negotiate at the end, quote unquote. And by which point, there, it's not too late per se, but it's not as effective as understanding that you're a part of a hiring process, right? From the moment you get a, you, know, you either send in your resume or you get a ping from a recruiter, you pick up that phone and start engaging, you're a part of a hiring process. And I would argue you're part of a negotiation process, a bit of a dance, right? And so just being aware that each touch point is relevant. Each touch point with the company is a negotiation, some more than others, depending on whom you're speaking with and depending on the timing of the process. But I would encourage us to look at this as a negotiation process over the course of, call it low weeks, right? Depending on how fast the company moves. And I think what you're shooting for on a high level is in each of those interactions, you're striking a balance between, these are really important words, genuine and healthy. Two different things, two distinct things, but very important things. Genuine and healthy interest and genuine and healthy sort of skepticism or curiosity, call it, right? And so on the one hand, you want to be able to demonstrate that you're enthusiastic, that you're excited about the opportunity. And that's really important throughout the process, regardless of whom you're speaking with. On the other, you want to look for moments in which to dose in yeah, that skepticism, that curiosity. Is this the right role? Is this the right level? What kind of impact am I going to be able to have? Am I going to learn as much in this role as I have been? These are all, in my mind, genuine and healthy sort of concerns or skepticism. And the point is, when you express none of that along the way, then guess what? It's not going to be much of a negotiation. If it's all just falling out of your chair enthusiasm, good on you. You're excited about the role and I'm, by the way, excited for you. But again, it's not going to be much of a negotiation. And look, some of that skepticism, I mentioned some of those things. It could also be personal things. You could, you know, you point to timing as a potential factor. You point to personal situation. Those are all, assuming they're genuine and real, those are all very valid and necessary points to communicate during your hiring process. Better you do it early on and build that 
understanding on the part of the hiring manager and the recruiter that this isn't a slam dunk. And better you do that early on than at the very end. That's where I think things can get tricky. Wait, you can't start for six months and we're finding this out <laughs> at the nth hour. Not ideal. And it's not, it's a hard negotiation at that point. So that's really high level, call it frameworky type of stuff. How should one manifest this actually through the process? So the first person you're talking to, I suppose, is the recruiter, usually. How do you make the recruiter into some sort of a partner in this whole process or to make it work? That's a great way to put it. That is your goal. You're okay. trying to get the recruiter around your lot, your situation. You're not looking to be their best friend or vice versa, but they should at a minimum know what are the push and the pull factors for you? What is your interest level? And a good recruiter will create the relationship to be able to suss this out from you and to do it early on in the process. But your job is to make sure they at least are armed with a sense of what's practical, what's reasonable, what you're optimizing for, what's important to you, what your motivations are. That's a lot to convey. But the good news is you have multiple touch points to, in which to be able to do it. And nowadays, multiple media to be in through it to do it, which is phone calls, texts, emails. Each of those is an opportunity to communicate to that partner because that is their role is to be able to then communicate this to internally, whether it's the end of the process to the comp team, certainly to the hiring manager that, hey, I know you're excited about Amit, but you should know he's got three other offers or you should know that his partner can't stand our company or <laughs> Right? These are our relevant data points and you want to make sure you can communicate them as you go along to the organization. Hmm. Okay. So I think what you're saying is whatever it is that are your personal circumstances or parameters within which you'll make the decision, you should communicate that upfront to the recruiter so that everybody's on the same page and there should be no unpleasant surprises like later on in the discussion. That's well put. And I, yeah, look, it's not about dumping everything on just the recruiter all at once. It's really appreciating that this is a process and strategically and thoughtfully and honestly dosing in your needs alongside showing who you are and why you're great and why they should hire you. And sometimes, oftentimes that's easiest and best done through a good recruiter. Other times the recruiter's just either too busy or absent or not that good, quote unquote. And so then you have to find other avenues for that. Typically, it's also good to call a bit of a relationship with a hiring manager. I think a good hiring manager sees the recruiting process, hopefully, as a chance to really build some rapport with their, with their employee-to-be, right? And so they should be creating a conduit as well for the purpose of ensuring they get a great hire and starting a really fluid sort of creating a foundation for good communication with their employee to be, right? That's ultimately what it comes down to. So it's not to put everything on the recruiter. It's just they can be particularly helpful and particularly helpful for addressing things that are more awkward to be able to address, like compensation, right. like leveling, things like that. There is a dynamic there that we should be candid about that it, it can be very awkward to talk about that stuff, quote unquote, with your boss to be. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I, th I think that's a very good point as well. The recruiter is a little bit of a buffer. You can be more honest and transparent, not come across weird or like a jerk to the actual hiring manager because of the future relationship that you need to have with them. Because the starting point is inherently full of tension, like you said. 
you're trying to get the best for yourself company is trying to do the best for itself so it is going to be not the most pleasant starting point so it's a good thing there's somebody in between exactly that's right buffer is a good word for it and that is a very useful role that they that they play that's right so now through this process what we're saying is initially you lay out some of the key points within which you will consider this whole you'll operate this whole negotiation for yourself and you go through so many different steps in the process right obviously the later you are in the process the more desirable you presumably are to the company so when is the time when you should make your when you start really thinking about what should the compensation look like and so how do you take it forward at that point yeah i think I agree you are you become more desirable as you progress through the process as you build momentum and credibility and you gain leverage to use the relevant negotiation term you have less of it up front when they say okay you've got a nice resume but are you fit for this role are you fit for our culture there's a lot of ambiguity once you're five six steps into the process a lot of that is drastically reduced the ambiguity and have become more desirable and so be aware of that leverage number 1 and hopefully you've done a decent job of articulating your needs and your interests and your concern along the way like we talked about and if things are the momentum is proceeding typically towards an offer at this point right five six conversations in so that's where i think one of the things you can do and should do is try and call some data collect some data for yourself what do i you have your existing compensation which you know but your ability to research and or user network to try and get at more data can be a very powerful thing that's one the other is typically up front there's a conversation around either some form of either what are you on candidate or what do you expect to make right depending on how it's it's framed so that's a early stage very important conversation and the other piece i think that i would tactically flag is when you get to the end of the process the self awareness kicks in again like ultimately how do i want this how badly do i want it am i willing to walk away if need be for the wrong offer or am i like sometimes you're just so emotionally committed <laughs> i remember saying to my wife explicitly when it came to interviewing with netflix i'm going to do this i'm been following this company for so long i'm so curious about the culture i've so enjoyed these interviews i'm going and that was helpful for the purpose of my my relationship life planning but it was also helpful for the purposes of the negotiation that level of self-awareness and i knew exactly how to approach the negotiation as a function of that i think people get into trouble when they're just not sure how they feel about things or they don't have enough information about the opportunity or when they're negotiating with one arm behind their back and it becomes harder to have a smooth effective negotiation in good faith when you're wishy-washy hmm yeah so i think this goes back to one of the early points that you made which is you need to look at essentially need to have an approach to this whole thing look at all the components of the compensation right at the start and have some sort of a box within which you want to play and know what you're going to be flexible on and what you're not and that's i think helpful for your this walking away point yeah yeah that's what put and i think look that shifts as you talk to the company right as you go through yeah Yeah. In some basic way maybe just even your understanding how good the company is, how good its prospects are, how much growth there is to be had. It's really it's opaque when you start. But if those signals come through well during the interview process, that's that should impact your sort of 
bottom line analysis that you just referred to. And conversely, right? The more you hopefully are excited to work with the manager or not, their factor, the more you like the culture or don't, right? You're getting all these signals during the process only. And they're really important to process those things. It's really important to process those signals and have it output into how badly do I want this job or not. That's right. And what it means is you may have had only financial parameters at the start, but what you said, like through the process, you're adding more things like, do I like this hiring manager? Do I like the culture of the company? Do I think I'll grow really quickly? And therefore, you know, the initial, the starting point is not as important as where I will be two or three years from now. Those kinds of things, so, you know, like softer points as well. And, and the subset maybe of, of listeners who are managers and leaders and recruiters, and if you're a manager or a leader, you are a recruiter, by the way, your job is to illuminate these soft pieces to people during the hiring process. This is your form of negotiation from the other side that is non-financial, right? You put these signals out there, one, to see if people resonate and get it and want to be a part of your everything. And two, it'll soften the negotiation if people go, you know what? Base salary is X, equity is Y, but I get it. I just want to, these are my people. I want to be a part of this organization. I want to work with you. That's a very powerful thing organizationally. That's right. I have a slightly different question here. A lot of people complain about how they've been asked what's their previous salary. And they assume that their new compensation is going to be anchored to that previous salary, which is not an unreasonable assumption. What do you think about those situations where the company says, okay, show us your last pay slip or tell us what your last uh, salary was, and then they're going to base things on that. How do you break out of that? And I'm not going to give a always do this or never do this. I think, I one, I agree with you that if you give that salary, you're not necessarily unanchored to it. Oftentimes a company will say, oh, it makes you know 55K, we'll pay them around 57K. That happens not unoften, for sure. On the other hand, if asked, and typically it's the recruiter who asks you what your compensation is, and you, you don't give it, you run two risks. One is it just creates an awkward vibe. That's not necessarily the only, like you shouldn't be optimizing for the vibe only, but could be awkward to just say, sorry, I won't give that. However much within your right, and you are within your right to be able to say that. The other thing is, the assumption can be, or the perception, whether it's accurate or not, is, oh, Ahmed didn't give me his salary. He must be on peanuts. And, right, because generally that's probably a decent assumption. Conversely, people who are earning a bomb will oftentimes be like, oh, sure, I'll tell you what I make. I make X million dollars a year. Like, any other questions? I think approach it thoughtfully. Typically, I do share what I'm on when I'm asked. That's just a stylistic thing in terms of how I run. But it's really just, I make x it's like i make x i try to contextualize that here you know it's based on this this performance of the last three years and i'm up for promotion and or i think i'm actually underpaid but it's not necessarily my only motivation for being where i am so just giving a number typically isn't a great way to do it if you decide to, to share that number that's a good tip aki essentially give the number but put the context around it which will softly signal as to why their number needs to not be anchored so solidly on this one. It could be everything from, I know for a fact I'm underpaid, or I know for a fact that's an aggressive salary, but, right? It's all in, in how you contextualize, right? I always say better to give a well-presented context around 
the number than a really desirable number in a very uncontextualized way. By un very desirable, I mean low, and the company's going to be excited to hear that. Whether you're doing it up front when you're asked what you make or when you're making an ask for more compensation at the end, contextualizing and providing the why is scientifically proven. You add because to a request, it, things just go better. A lot of folks just say, I need X, and they don't say why. And it makes it very hard to then negotiate with you. Yeah, because if you set the why, then the company may be able to find a way to get there using other levers that they may be more willing to be flexible on. Yeah, that's well put. You want them to be willing and wanting to negotiate with you, which is why the context matters. It also why presenting the context in a uh, just a clear, above water, good faith way is so important, right? Because if I'm, for instance, a recruiter and I'm going to help negotiate and get Amit what he's after as a candidate, I need to be incentivized to want to do that. And that means one, I trust him. Two, I want him to be here. Three, I trust his data and I understand what his factors are. Now I'm going to go and fight for you Yeah. to get you on board. I'm going to use my internal juice, my currency that I mentioned before to get on my knees and, and beg the compensation team to make it happen or tell the manager why she's being short-sighted in not hiring you despite your price tag. These parties to want to help you. Yeah, and that's, I think, the perfect outcome, which is where people are actually rooting for you internally, which is wonderful. That's, I think, a great sign of something having gone right. What are some of the signs that things are going wrong or you should maybe reconsider what is happening? Yeah. Let's stick on this example, right? Where you're bringing data to the conversation, you're contextualizing your asks, you're being thoughtful and curious and asking good questions and voicing concerns as well as enthusiasm throughout the negotiation process broadly, but certainly the, the acute end of, of the hiring process when you're actively negotiating is such a loud signal of what it's going to be like at this company. And that is, what are those signals? So the speed, with which things do or don't happen. You make a request, it, it takes two weeks to hear back anything. It's like a black hole. Guess what? That's not a coincidence. That's how the organization runs. It might still be a great organization for you. I'm not judging it. But the danger is you don't take that data point for what it is, which is a sign of how things run, which is slowly. Alternatively, you make an ask and within six hours, you've got an answer, whether it's yes or no. So speed is one. To the assumption of, of good intent and trust, right, that people have in the data that you might bring. Netflix is rightly famous. And I love this about Netflix. They asked candidates to bring data to them. And it was such a great implicit message of, we trust you. You're on the cusp of joining us. We're going to ask you to get relevant data, if you choose, and bring it to this really data collection exercise versus rejecting in the extreme any and all data that you might bring, right? So you can get a read on, on trust level. The other thing is, depending on whom you're negotiating with, whether it's a recruiter, but if it happens to be a hiring manager, that interaction, if you're able to have one and with the hiring manager on the negotiation, is a lot like what it's going to be like once you join, if you join this manager, right? In terms of communication, in terms of opacity or transparency, all of it, patience, data-drivenness, you are getting a super great window into what it's going to be like because comp is so emotional, right? The whole exercise is emotional. You're putting yourself out there saying, I am, do you want me? And what am I worth to you? It's a fundamentally emotional endeavor, this compensation effort. And so 
if you can't have a conversation about compensation with an organization or an individual, that's a really loud signal that you need to be careful. Maybe think about not joining that individual or company. Yeah, because what you're saying is this is an example of how a tense situation or emotional situation is going to feel like at the company. So if they come across as, okay, we get you, we are trying to figure this out, work with us, that kind of thing makes you feel good, then likely your normal working life will also be like that. Versus they're like, screw you, this is not going to listen to you, or I'm just going to ghost you for weeks on end while we figure out other candidates. Not so great. Is it, is it collaborative? Is it dismissive? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it high trust? Is it low trust? The signals are all over the place. I do think there's a, the danger comes in because people, we just talked about the fact that as you go along, sometimes you get emotionally connected with an organization. And sometimes that emotion and, and comp we just determined is a very emotional process. And so sometimes those emotions cloud out the signals in both directions. I've had one situation in particular where there were those warning signs everywhere I mean, and I ignored them because I was so excited about the, the product and the brand and all these pieces. And conversely, I remember thinking and probably overthinking through my offer to join Netflix. And in retrospect, there were so many great signals, right? That I wasn't paying attention to. So your brain can do, I think, funny things in these emotional processes, the hiring process being highly emotional. And we just need to make sure we're doing justice to those signals. So I think, Aki, this has been a fantastic conversation. So before we close, is there any, are there any takeaways that we should leave our listeners with? Like maybe in summary, some of the key points. Yeah, I think the key takeaway, I, I, look, I tell my kids this all the time. I have a, a daughter and a son. And I just say, if you don't ask, you don't get, right? And I'm just trying to embolden and instill from an early age, the okayness and the goodness to come from asking. Doing it in the right way, like we've said all along. But I think that's one of the nuggets I would try to dose to folks. That and the, the curve and the compounding we talked about at the beginning, the earlier you can get in the habit of doing this, the, er the earlier you get into the okayness of doing this, the greater the ROI. And it's not just for the purpose of you and your compensation. At some point, for, for most of us, you'll be on the other side. And so you'll be a better negotiator when it comes to bringing people onto your own team and being able to attract that team. And it extends these skills, obviously extend beyond work. We're negotiating all the time in life. And so I'm a big fan and I hope the chat has been helpful. Yeah, it's been very, very helpful because it uh, you've kind of helped pull back the curtain a little bit on how things are happening on the other side. And usually when we have these conversations, we are always like, oh, you know, this is what I wanted. How can it be so difficult? Why can't they get back to me? Or how do I get more? Or should I even ask? And I think this whole discussion around the different stakeholders, what are they looking for? How to try and make them your partners? How to get them to be rooting for you? This is all extremely good insight and very, very helpful to everyone listening. Very helpful to me as well, by the way. I'm not exactly the world's best negotiator. So good to learn from you as well. Yeah, so, so Aki, thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate having you here with us. And for everyone listening, please, if you liked this episode, and I'm sure you did, please rate this episode five stars. And if you want to read the show notes and get more into detail in what we discussed, then visit us on crazytalk.online. 
where you will also find a link to talent stories which is aki's new venture let's say and you learn a lot more about just managing your career overall thank you very much for joining us thank you aki for being here i really really enjoyed the chat thoughtful as always and yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah i i did too aki thanks for being here and uh, for those listening we were aki and amit with job talk see you next time